Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Chris and Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, you want to join me over there? I want to spend some time with you this morning. We're going to read a lot of Bible. Everybody say, I love my Bible. Okay, we're going to read a lot of Bible today, and we're going to talk about living a worthwhile life. Now, last week, we, we uh, listened and we heard Pastor Mark talk about uh, purpose and the importance of living with purpose in our life and understanding what God's purpose for our life is. And, and so I'm going to be piggybacking on that somewhat in the context of living a worthwhile life. But as I do that, I want to just ask you, well, who are the role models in your life? Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that are influential in your life? Who are the people that, that, that bring sway? And why is it that you look up to them? What is it that draws your attention to to them, so forth and so on. I mean, we could go through a whole list of role models and people that we look up to. Uh, I have a few that uh, I want to see how just familiar you are with them. So let's pick up the the first uh, slide. How many of you know these personalities right here? That's Nelson Mandela on the left. And why was he? Why do you think I would have chosen him? Apartheid, the, the whole taking a stand, ended up, I mean, he was a man of, uh, of great influence. And do you know the woman on the right side? Malala. Yes, and why might I put her there? She's from Pakistan. And the Taliban tried to take her out because she's an activist for women's education in Islamic countries. Incredible woman. They actually tried to assassinate her, and she survived being shot in the head. Get that one, okay? So incredible woman. Okay, uh, here's another one. How many of you know who this is? Tim Tebow. And why might I put him up there? Well, he's a, he's a strong Christian man, but he's also had a great athletic career, and now he's a sportscaster and all of that. But here's the point. I didn't put him up there because he's a football player. I put him up there because he took his notoriety, and he has used his notoriety for the benefit of others. And he, he just does some amazing things. Look into his life and look what he does off camera. What he does off camera is more important than what he does on the camera, okay? And then, so I've showed, no, get, get them off, okay. Um, so I've showed you what I would say to you are good role models or excellent role models, but then, you know, you bump into some role models that aren't so good. So let's look at the next slide. How many of you know who these folks are? Yeah, okay. We can take that right off right now. That's all we need to see of that, okay? So here's the deal. As, as believers, as Christians, there are people that we should look to and esteem and, and learn from, and they're not always people that are on a TV screen. They could be people sitting right next to you. 
They could be people who are just loving Jesus and giving their all for him. And so just look around and see some of the role models that you might look to as you grow in your faith. Come on, just look around. There are people in this room that are just living for Jesus in a powerful way. And I want to just bring you to a text that Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers. It starts in verse 1. That's verse 1 up there. We're going to read the first 16 verses of chapter 4. And then I'm going to bring some context and show you where I want to go with the message this morning. So Paul begins, and I'm reading from the New King James. He begins by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is all above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, say each one of us, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Now continue with me. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Say that with me. By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which, again, go with me, every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What I want to zero in on is this phrase, that the Apostle Paul uses to bring into context what the rest of his letter to the Ephesians is all all about. He says he calls them to live life worthy of the calling that they have received. To live life in a a worthy way or a worthwhile way. Okay, now some of you might hear that and say, well, Chris, you know, I'm small potatoes. My life doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, No one cares what I do. And I would say to that, I would say to you, that's not true. Your life is incredibly significant. Your life, no matter what you do, means a whole lot in the kingdom of God, and it means a whole lot on the earth, and it means even more within the body of Christ. So your life matters, and what you do and how you live your life matters. 
And that's Paul's point. He's saying, listen, whatever you do, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now consider Paul. He's writing, if you understand or you've read or or studied the life of Paul, you understand that when he's writing the book of Ephesians and some of the other epistles, he's writing from prison. And at this time, he's rather old and possibly tired from all of his traveling. I can relate. And yet he's writing from a place where probably he makes a bigger impact in his life through his writings than he ever did through his travels. Because if he hadn't written what you have and what I have in our Bibles, if he hadn't written to the Ephesians, if he hadn't written to the Philippians, if he hadn't written the epistles that we read over and over and over again, we would not have some of the rich theology and understanding of what it means to be a Christian. But he wrote it from prison. He could have checked out. He could have said, well, I guess my life is over. I guess the circumstances of my life dictate to me that, well, I'm going to rot in prison. And he could have just quit. How many of you ever had a circumstance in your life that just caused you to kind of think, well, you know what, I just want to quit? Life has just gotten a little too difficult, and and this whole thing, this whole Christian thing, I guess it really doesn't matter. My point to you this morning is one person's life of faith in Jesus is so important. Your life in Jesus is so important, so meaningful, has so much significance. It is noteworthy. Turn to somebody right now and say, your life is noteworthy. So Paul begins by saying, I beseech you. I I urge you. This is, in in the Greek language, this this terminology that Paul is using is called a paraklesis. What he's doing is he's connecting theology with practical living. And from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, all of those verses in what I just mentioned are all ways that Paul is connecting practical application to the rich theology of chapters 1, 2, and 3. A paraclesis is this. It is an admonition, a calling near, a summons, an encouragement, a stirring address, a persuasive discourse. What is he trying to do? He's trying to move the Ephesians, and he's trying to move each and every one of us Not just to be correct in our doctrine, but to understand how doctrine applies to everyday life. How your belief system and my belief system, it's not just about believing, but it's about practice. How many of you know that you have to practice your Christianity? How many of you get that? You can have a lot of theology, you can have a lot of understanding, you can have a lot of doctrine, but if you never put it into practice, it is worthless. And that's why he says, listen, live your life in a worthwhile way. Take what you've learned. Take what you've been taught. Take what you understand, what I've shown you in regards to who Christ is and who you are in Christ. Take that and now live it out on a daily basis. And here are some of the conclusions that he makes. Watch, here we go. Number one, he says every believer is to live their life worthy of their calling. Say every believer. 
elbow the person next to you and say, every believer, not just a few, not just the ones who get it, but every believer, this call, this admonition, this, this as he beseeches us is not just for the Ephesians, it's for us. Every believer is to live their life worthy of their calling. Do you have a call on your life? You better believe you do. So you have to live a life worthy of that, right? Number two, you'll see that he says every believer has been given grace to fulfill their calling. You're like, I know I have a call on my life, but it's so hard to do sometimes. Anybody in that camp? I know how I should be living. I know how I should be acting, but it's so hard. Everybody picks on me. Life isn't like it should be. And why? Why me? Have you ever gone there with Jesus? Why me? Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, there's a call on your life. It's like Pastor Mark was saying last week. There's a purpose for you. There's a purpose for living. There's a, there's a reason why you're here. The calling of God on your life. And you're like, it's hard, Chris. And I'm like, yeah. But the Bible says, no matter how hard it is, there has been grace given to you to walk it out. Come on, give somebody a high five and say, phew. Grace is given. Grace is given. Come on, somebody, tell somebody, nobody's talking, I'm going to get you all talking today. Hit somebody upside the head and say, grace is given. Grace is given. Come on, grace is given. Some of you enjoyed that hitting upside the head way too much. But it's like when, think about it. Here's Paul in prison. He's writing this incredible epistle to the Ephesians. And he's doing it out of the overflow of God's grace. That's why it's so profound. That's why it impacts you whenever you read it. Whenever you read the word of God, have you ever wondered to yourself, why does it have such influence in my life? Why does it have such impact in my life? It's because of the grace of God. Holy Spirit just begins to breathe on the Word of God. Holy Spirit begins to breathe on the revelation that you see in the Scripture. And then grace takes over and you're like, I think I can do this. Or is that just me? I mean, I read stuff in Scripture sometimes and I'm like, no way. And then Holy Spirit goes, oh, yeah, yeah this way. And grace comes. Everyone has grace given in order to fulfill your calling. And number three, this is the third suggestion that Paul throws out there. He says every believer is gifted in order to what? Be highlighted on the daily news. To be elevated in the body of Christ as some powwow poo-wow kind of guy. I have no idea why I said that. No, he says the gift, the calling on your life is for this reason. Not that you might be noticed, but that the body of Christ might be built up. That the body of Christ might be strengthened. And sometimes what we do in the body of Christ is when someone is particularly gifted, when they have an incredible calling on their life, we want to elevate them to some kind of a status and, and ooh wow, poo wow, there it is again. 
And I didn't use it in the first service, so you guys get extra credit. But I think you know what I mean. But that's not Paul's intention. Paul's saying, whatever your gifting is, whether it's apostolic, whether it's prophetic, whether it's in the pastoral, whether it's in the teaching, whether it's an evangelist, whether it's a hospitality gift, whatever the gift is, you've been given a gift. Give somebody a high five and say, I am gifted. See, you guys have been missing me because I do the interactive preaching. I make you do stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Thank you. But he says, whatever that gift is, use it to build up the body of Christ, to strengthen the body of Christ. And so as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So let's think about why is he saying this to this church at this particular time? And I think it's incredibly applicable to where we are as a body of believers. First of all, the Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey, had planted the church in Ephesus. And he had imparted to them for a long season of time, and then he transitioned out and he transitioned Timothy in. And so Timothy is pastoring now the church at Ephesus as Paul writes. That's why we have not only the book of Ephesians, but we also have First and Second Timothy, Paul's instruction to the new pastor at Ephesus. And as a result, what's beginning to happen at Ephesus is the church is growing. As a result of the ministry of not only Paul, but, but Timothy and, and the others that are part of the body of Christ there in Ephesus, the church is growing and more and more people are being added and the church is seeing incredible influence in its community. And do you know what happens when the church grows and has influence? She also begins to have some problems. And I'm not prophesying anything here. But the reason why Paul is writing to them is as new people are being added to the church. And guess what we're doing this afternoon after this service? We're welcoming 20 new people into Zion Fellowship who are making Zion Fellowship their home. Amen. So we're growing and we're seeing God do amazing things. But what comes with growth and what comes with family and what comes with closeness is we begin to see each other and we actually begin to live with each other and we actually begin to rub elbows. And when that starts happening, it's not always pretty. There's a process that you go through, and that's what was happening at Ephesus. And so what was happening is, and if you read Paul's writings, he's writing in such a way of saying, listen, some of you who are now new Christians, you need to leave your old self behind, and you need to put the new self on. That's why he writes that. He's saying, you're not, listen, you were saved from your sin, but that doesn't mean your repenting is over. There are still things that you're going to need to repent of. And so he says over, he talks about the renewing of your mind. He's, why is he doing that? Well, because these new people that are being added to the church need to learn these important things. There are, there are some, if you read his writings here to the, to the Ephesians, you realize that he's speaking to some people who are still kind of immature in the faith. Why? Because they're pouting that things are not going their way. Any pouters here today? Have you ever pouted in your life? Maybe when the Kansas City Chiefs lose, you pout. Right there, JJ. I got the microphone, sorry. 
I pouted when the Patriots lost, so there you go, okay? But, but he's speaking to the immaturity, not in a way of judgment, not in a way of pointing a finger, but he's saying, listen, you need to grow up. You need to live a life worthy of the call that is on your life. You know, people, why does he write about the power of forgiveness? Well, probably because some people were holding a grudge and they weren't forgiving one another. And so he's instructing them in all of these things. He's deeply concerned for the health of the church. That's why we have the book of Ephesians. That's why we have Philippians. That's why we have these things. And the admonition that's coming forth from the Apostle Paul as he writes is he's saying, live your life worthy of the call that God has placed on your life. So let's talk about calling. Let's talk about what he means when he says calling and what he's pointing to. Now, there are many of you in this room that have responded to a, a vocational call on your life, and what you do is amazing. Some of you have been called to the medical field. Some of you have been called to the professional field. Some of you have been called to, to stay at home and disciple your children at home. And all of those vocational calls are in. Uh, extremely important for each of us to respond to. But that's not the calling that he's talking about. He's talking about the calling that he has described in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The calling that he's calling them to live worthwhile to is, is found in phrases like this. He says, once you were spiritually poor. This is what he talks about in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. There was a time when spiritually you were, you were poor. You, were, you, you had nothing going for you. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been granted a glorious inheritance. Live worthy of that inheritance. Or he says this. He says, once you were not blessed at all. There was no blessing flowing to you in any dimension of your life. But now that you are in Christ, watch this. I love this. He says, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is yours. Live worthy of those blessings. Are you tracking with me? And then he says, in the age to come, that is eternal life. You're going to live forever. Somebody high five the person next to you and say, I'm not going to die. I'm living forever. And this one blows me away. Think about eternal life. You know, I, I talk to people sometimes and they're like, what are we going to do in heaven? What's heaven going to be like? I mean, come on. What are we just going to stand around and always praise Jesus? For eternity, my arm's going to get tired. We're going to eat cake, somebody says. I think it's going to be even better than that. This is what he says. He says, in the age to come, this will be your experience. You will live in the riches of his grace, in the kindness of Christ Jesus. Drink that one in. Living the rest of your life in the riches of his grace and the kindness of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine waking, I don't think you wake up in eternity, okay? But I was going to, let me just, for sake of illustration. Can you imagine waking up every day of your life for the rest of your life, drinking in the grace of God and the kindness of Christ Jesus? So this is what he talks about in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so now he's saying, 
You've got it doctrinally. That's good. But now you have to live it practically. What does a life look like that's lived on the earth today that lives in expectation and anticipation of living the rest of their life in the grace and kindness of Christ Jesus? I'll tell you right now, you don't shout at the car in front of you that's going too slow because you're late for an appointment. Because you're just living differently. You're living in the grace of God. You're living in the experience of his kindness. Something changes. Anybody got something to work on? See, that's what he's pointing out to them. He's saying, if you understand what I've told you in the first part of this letter, then now I'm calling you to bring that doctrinal understanding, that rich theology that I've given you, to bring it over into practical application in your life. In other words, Jesus expects us to live a certain way that aligns with his goals, his objectives, and his purposes for our lives. He expects us to live a certain way. And so he uses this word. He says, live your life worthy of the call of God that has been placed upon your life. This word worthy in the Greek is axios or like an access point. It's really cool when you look into it because it means to weigh, to weigh properly, to weigh in, to assign to matching value. So when he says... Live your life worthy of your calling. What he's doing is he's equalizing and balancing the scales. He's saying, if this is what Christ has done for you, the way you live your life over here should be equal to what he's done for you. That's what the word worthy means in this context. It's translated in different places, different ways. But this word worthy means my life as a Christian ought to be equal to my identity as a Christian. I hear people all the time say, this is who I am in Jesus, and they live a different way. Paul's saying, no, no, know who you are in God, and then live equally to what you know. Are you tracking with me? I'll play it, say it this way, who you are and how you live matters. Or, said another way, Talk the talk, walk the walk. Okay, there you go. Okay, so as a Christian, I must live. This is profound now. You are taking notes. Get your notebooks out. This is the most profound statement I'm going to make all morning. As a Christian, I must live like a Christian. Told you, it was deep. That took me a week and a half to come up with right there. It was deep. And why do I say that? Because here's Paul writing, and he's not letting circumstances dictate to his faith. He's not letting circumstances dictate to his life experience. He's not letting what's happening around him speak or diminish the call that God has placed on his life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get so discouraged just because life is not going the way I think it should go. And I can easily get out of step with the Spirit of God simply because the circumstances that I thought should line up this way lined up a little differently. And as a result, I don't now listen to me, and I don't say this in a condemnatory way to myself or to you. As a result, I don't live worthy of the calling that has been placed on my life. 
I'm distracted. I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm giving myself to, to looking at things and going, you know, woe is me. But in the context of what Paul is writing, in the King James, he sa- it says it this way, in a manner becoming wherewith you were called. Now, I have no idea what that means, but it just sounds really cool. Wherewith. How many of you use that word every day? Yeah. I was wherewith Joan. I don't think that's how it goes, but I like using the word wherewith. I was wherewith Ben and Kylie yesterday. That's not how it works. What it, what it means, listen, this is what it means. It's so cool when you dig into it. This is what it means. It's, it's this idea of not putting on clothes that clash. That's what it means. It means your life, your doctrine, and your lifestyle should not clash. Now, I'm colorblind. Here's, this is a great illustration. Get this one, guys. I'm colorblind. And I would come every Sunday dressed in clothing that clashed if it wasn't for my family members saying, you can't go out of the house that way. And I'll say, why? And they'll go, those colors clash. It particularly was strong when Anna was home. All of you know my prophetic daughter. She would not let me move out of the, Dad, get up in your room. She'd send me to my room and lay out clothes for me. These work, Dad. And I'm like, they look the same as those. And she's like, trust me, they don't. So this morning, Anna wasn't there. Joan had left early, so I wore socks that clashed. (laughs) But here's the point that he's making. He's saying, when you live a life that is worthwhile to the call of God on your life, here's the thing that you do. Your doctrine and your lifestyle, they don't clash. How many have ever met a Christian who has rich theology, but their life doesn't line up to their theology. There's no grace, there's no love, there's no kindness, there's none of that happening in their life, but they know their Bible. Have you ever wondered how can that be? No judgment here, but I'm saying what Paul is addressing is he's saying it shouldn't and it can't be that way. So you say, well then, what does it look like, Chris? Look at verse 2. I'm almost done. Hang in there with me. How many of you know that I'm not almost done? He says this. So you say, well, Chris, what is this really going to look like? Get practical with us now. Drill down and tell us what this is going to look like. Here's what it's going to look like. He says, this is how you do it. Here's how you live a life worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. He says, with all lowliness. A better translation of that that word lowliness is he says, you do this. This is how you live a life worthy of the call of God. By becoming completely humble. Wow. Completely humble. See, I think sometimes we have a wrong view of humility. 
We hear the idea of humility and we think we have to beat ourselves up, we have to beat ourselves down, that, that we have to make ourselves inferior to, to other people. That is not biblical humility. Biblical, biblical humility is, is a virtue that opens the door to all the other virtues. When you and I can adopt this stance of becoming completely humble with one another, guess what begins to flow from our lives? Kindness, gentleness, patience. Have you noticed that? When you humble yourself, have you noticed how you just become more patient with people? A little more kind? A little more gentle? You see, if you're looking for a role model of humility, you only have to look as far as Jesus. Jesus, and that's why Paul says what he says in verses 8, 9, and 10. He talks about how Jesus, in the incarnation, humbled himself and became a man. If he ascended, it must mean that he first descended. That's what all that language is all about. He's talking about the incarnation. And when Jesus humbled himself and he became the Word made flesh, humbled himself, became obedient to the Father, died on the cross, it was in that form of humility that he was exemplifying to each and every one of us what complete humility looks like. The giving of your all for God. You completely humble yourself in order that you might be a blessing to others. And so Paul cites it and he says, here's what it looks like. Here's what complete humility looks like. All you have to do is look at Jesus and you see it. And you're like, Whoa, how do I do that? Verse 7, grace has been given to you to do it. Think about it. Read through the Gospels and see Jesus exemplify humility. He meets with a woman at a well in Samaria. Think about the scenario that is put in the Gospels for us to learn what complete humility looks like. A Samaritan woman comes to midday to a well to get some water. Jesus is there waiting for her. You say, well, that doesn't sound too profound. Number one, she's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. They shouldn't talk. Culturally, they shouldn't engage. Number two, she's a woman. He's a man. Culturally, they shouldn't engage. And Jesus looks at her and says, give me a drink of water. He engages with her. That's what he humbles himself. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, he engages with a sinful woman because he's after her heart. You get it? It should be no different for us. When we're engaging with one another, when we're engaging with people out in the world, if we're moving from a place of humility, it's going to make all the difference in the world. And that's Paul's point. When he says, live your life worthy of your call, he says, you do it from the platform of complete humility. Not somewhat humble, but complete humility. And you say, Chris, you're not helping me. I need it more practical. Let me give you three applications that might help you. Okay, you ready? Last slide. First application. Oh, you're getting way ahead of me there, Amy. 
Okay. Leave them right there. Don't, don't mess with it. The first one is this. Just this is a thought that I'm, I'm just going to spit it out there and I'm going to ask you to put meat on the bones of this thought. Okay? Why not spend your time discovering each other's gifts as opposed to each other's weaknesses? How many of you know it's so easy when we gather week after week and we gather in our small groups and we're shoulder to shoulder and elbow to elbow and we're doing something. How many of you know it is so easy to begin to see one another's weaknesses? All the spots and the wrinkles, right? So easy. I'm going to suggest to you that what Paul is suggesting is, listen, instead of centering in on each and every weakness of the person next to you, why don't you center in on their gifts? Why don't you center in on who God's made them and why they do what they do and what they're gifted to do and find ways to encourage them? Number one. Number two, now put some meat on these bones. Why not develop your gifts? Why not discover and develop how God's given you gifts in order that you might Build up the people around you. That's what he says. He says gifts have been given to the church. Why? To build the church up. To strengthen the church. When I discovered this for myself, it really, really helped me because I was, I was you know, just wanting to know how God wanted to use me in the body of Christ. And God, what, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing this kind of teaching, but I'm like, I don't understand. I don't see how it works. And then someone said, just look at yourself. And I'm like, no, they said, no, look how you operate. Look who you are. And you'll discover one of your gifts. And I'm like, just tell me. Would you just, don't you, wouldn't you rather just someone tell you than they send you on this self-discovery thing, you know? I said, just tell me. They said, Chris, you are a natural exhorter. You're always telling people, you can do it. You can make it happen. You, you know, you're awesome. You're amazing. How many of you are tired of hearing me say that? That's my, like my go-to. It's like I sent a note to Mark this week. I had a bunch of little children running in and out of my office and driving me happy. <laughs> and so I was, I, was sending, I was sending work up to Shannon, and, and I just... Ran out of stuff to send up to the top of the office. And so I wrote this little note to Mark, Pastor Mark, and I said, you are awesome. And then Azariah Mass comes in. He goes, you got another job for me? And I said, yes, take this note to, to Pastor Mark. And so he ran up and I told Mark how awesome he was. I've discovered that that's just one of my gifts. I just love encouraging people, exhorting people. And I, listen, it's not phony. It's not made up. It's just who I am. You get in a conversation with me, and I don't care how discouraged you are. By the end of that conversation, I'm going to be telling you you can do it. Once I discovered that, I began to understand one of my roles in the body of Christ, to build the church up. Now, here's the thing. I'm no different than you. And you have gifts in your life, and you're meant to employ those gifts to build up the church. And the last thing that Paul says, and it's later on in the text, but it's in chapter 4, and he says the only way the first two are going to work 
is if you're willing to destroy your old man and put on the new. And you say, well, why? Why why do you have to destroy your old man? Here's why. And Paul will say it much better than I do. He says, listen, until you destroy the old man, the mountain of pride that is in your life will keep you from doing the other two. But once you die to yourself, everybody's getting really happy right now, right? Once you die to yourself, once you die to your old man, once you put that mountain of pride to death, he says it opens this new vista where the new man, who you are in Christ Jesus, what you've been called to, every spiritual blessing, everything that God is doing in your life, it begins to awaken in your life and you function from a different place. That's what I want to call you to today. I want to ask you this morning if you would just stand to your feet. If the worship team would come on back up. Here's what I'm after. I'm after a couple of things. Number one, I'm after just encouraging anyone who recognizes that that God is working in your life, but you're not quite sure what he's doing. And you just need a little bit of encouragement. You just need someone to come up and pray for you and encourage you a little bit. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to come to the front. We have people who will come up and encourage you and pray over you if that's you. Secondly, if you're here this morning and the circumstances of life have broken you, And as a result of the brokenness that you've experienced in your life, there's something going off in you and and, and you're kind of... You're kind of saying, is it, is it really worth it? Is, it? is it really worth the pain? Is it really worth the heartache? Is it really worth it to continue on this Christian journey? And I would just say to you, yeah, it's worth it. Let God mend the brokenness in you. Let God touch the hurt in you today. And so if, if that applies to anybody this morning, I want to call you to the front. Don't don't be hesitant. Just come to the front and we have people who are just ready to pray for you. Joan, if you just start with worship. Just saying, Lord, I just want my life to matter. I want my life to count. I want to live my life worthy of the call of God. Hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.